Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season five, episode 24, Poison. Poison. Um. Poison. Opening scene. Oh, there's a little girl in a hospital bed. She's unconscious. She's intubated. The aunt got a call from her brother, the little girl's dad, to meet him at the hospital so she could watch the other children. Her aunt tells Benson that the doctor said if her niece wakes up, she's going to have significant brain damage. The little girl, Alexis, was adopted from Romania a year ago, and she's four years old. The aunt, Wendy, is holding a baby, and its twin is in the stroller. The twins were a surprise and were born right after the adoption. Her adoptive parents are Karen and Pete. The aunt knows that Benson was called because the doctors think Alexis was poisoned. Benson's like, well, what do you think? And immediately, Wendy's like, Karen did it. Yeah. Whoa. So she says that Karen is a fucking bitch to Alexis. Never a kind word, never a hug. And Benson's like, well, how is she with the other kids? And she's like, she dotes on the twins and is fucking amazing with their seven-year-old. So the seven-year-old is Alexis's sister, Katie. She adores Alexis. So Benson maybe thinks that they can get something out of her, hopefully. Cut to a different room. Stabler is in there. Why have Stabler do anything? I don't God. know. He needs to strictly be there as a battering ram when they enter a room. Just yeah. only his butt. Donkey butt kick that door open. <laughs> and that's it. That's your job. Donkey butt kick. So Stabler's in a room and he's interviewing Katie, coloring and all this stuff. He asks her what happened when she got home from school. And she's like, well, I watched SpongeBob. And he's like, <laughs> I have kids too. <laughs> And he's like, well, where was Alexis? And Katie says that Alexis was standing in the corner. Mm. Katie's mom puts Alexis in the corner when she's bad and makes her practice her numbers over and over, but she can only count to 10. So she's just doing it over and over and over again. So Alexis had drawn on the wall and their mom had given her a sponge and a pail full of soapy water. Alexis was crying because, duh, she's a fucking kid. And her mom was just pissed and would dunk the sponge in the soapy water and put it in Alexis's mouth to punish her for crying, which is crazy. And she just kept doing it over and over again because Alexis kept spitting the sponge out. Alexis then threw up. She tried to sit down, but the mom made her stand in the corner again. And then when the dad, Pete, got home, Alexis fell and wouldn't get back up. Now they're in the hospital waiting room. The parents show up. Katie runs over to hug her mom and Benson and the aunt come around the corner with the twins. Benson tells Katie she should go say goodnight to Alexis and the aunt goes and grabs Katie. Mom Karen... This was wild to me, and I've noticed this over and over, and I, if I had a manic episode, this is what I would do with that mental energy. I would create a, just a full string board, the most beautiful thing you'd ever seen of the way everybody connects, okay? It's like the second half of season five is entirely made up of the cast of Search for Tomorrow. It pops up at least once an episode in my IMDb searches in the last month. At least once. I should say like three times. There's always a bunch of people. Mom was in 172 episodes of that show. Never heard of it. She's also a Christmas movie queen. All right. Mm. This is dad's second of five spots on SVU. He was also in Mindhunter, Suits, and a TV series called Wish Fart. (laughs) No. Yes. (laughs) Wish Fart. Hmm. He did look familiar, and I'm, I'm, it's not because of Wish Fart. As obsessed <laughs> with that show as I am. Um, I probably just recognized him from... He, he looks like a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I need to start writing down all these like hot dog, fish police, fish Wish Fart <laughs> things, because i got to check them out. Uh, wiener on Wiener. I think Wish Fart was a kid's thing. 
Benson tells the parents they need to come to the precinct, like now. And Karen's like, oh, we can't. We have to get the kids home. And I'm like, what are you? Okay. <laughs> but Stable just like, lady, if I have anything to do with it, I'll make sure you never see those kids again. And they're like, what? And then they tell her she's under arrest for the murder of Alexis. Her husband, Pete, is like, what in the hell's going on? And Benson kind of holds him back a little bit and then guides Pete out behind them. My favorite is the way that Pete said, what? I <laughs> You're under arrest for murder. What? <laughs> He like pushes his glasses down his nose. He's like, what? What in the ding? Well, this isn't going to work. No, is it? <laughs> We're at the precinct. Karen is in an interview room with Benson Stabler and Oliver Gates. That's Karen's lawyer. You've already done an IMBD rundown yeah, on him. Yeah, he's been here. Yeah. Karen says this is all a mistake and that she loves Alexis. Benson says, not according to your sister-in-law. You know, the aunt Wendy in the hospital room. Mm-hmm. Karen's like, oh, my God, Wendy never liked me. <sighs> you just don't fucking listen to her. Stabler asked Karen if they should ask Katie about Karen's relationship with Alexis. And Gates is like, oh, yeah, sure, because seven-year-olds are so reliable. Tomorrow she'll tell you there's a pony with wings that lives in her closet. <laughs> Stabler then brings up the whole soapy water sponge thing that Katie had told him about and how Karen made Alexis stand in the corner and counting until she collapsed. Karen's like, Katie made this up. This is insane. Okay. And then Gates says, plenty of children ingest household poisons. It's sad, but it's not a crime. Benson's like, so this is all an accident. And Karen says she feels really bad that she wasn't paying close enough attention to Alexis, but Alexis must have gotten into the poison herself, the detergent or whatever, when Karen wasn't looking. But she can't possibly be everywhere at once because she has four kids to pay attention to. I hate her, but I can't right. shame. I can't. I actually drank fucking fingernail polish. <laughs> remover so you know i actually ate a calculator battery and had to go to the emergency room so yeah oh god you really can't be i mean yeah you really can't be everywhere at once it's impossible karen's like i'm a fucking good mother and i would never hurt alexis not to whenever somebody claims to be a good mother like we are so Mm -hmm. ingrained to be fucking hard on ourselves about our abilities that i'm like she said she's a good mom i would never say that and I am a good mom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. if you say that, yeah. mm, there's something There's something going on. Yeah. Like those loud guys that I've been fighting with on Instagram, they're like, gay people, disgusting. And you're like, mm, mm. what you so worried about there, bud? Yeah, why you so what you so insecure on? about there, bud? In the interview room with Pete Munch and Toots, Pete's freaking out and says his wife did nothing wrong and asks, duh, you guys, why would we rush Alexis to the hospital if we wanted to poison her? <laughs> Munch calmly tells him they're more concerned about why his wife does the things she does and asks mm-hmm. Peter why Karen treats Alexis so terribly. Peter says it's all a lie. And Toots tells mm-hmm. him, well, that's what your sister said. Car- I don't know why everybody's mean girling this guy. Munch is like, um. <laughs> so Toots tells him, well, that's what your sister said. Karen treats Alexis worse than a dog. And I've always fucking hated that turn of phrase. And I think it's pretty fucking obvious why. I feel like I, t- I treat my dog better than most people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because what, what it says is it's not acceptable to treat someone as bad as you would treat a dog. And then I feel like you don't know how to treat dogs if you believe that. Yeah. I posted a meme recently that was like, oh, you don't let your dog on the furniture? I'd let my dog borrow, borrow my, my car, car if you need to. <laughs> Yeah. He says that like regularly, like, oh, treat him like a dog or whatever. And it's like, I don't like that. Don't say that. Treat him like a cat. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Treat them like a cat treats you. Yeah. Sleep on his face, fucking (laughs) knead bread dough on his belly and put your asshole in his face. Randomly, yeah, randomly bite him. (laughs) Knock shit off counters. 
Have a floating clavicle. Turn into a fucking noodle sometimes. Ugh. Make him thrive for your love, but never fully give it. Get high as fuck off a weird spice. <laughs> my God. My ex-boyfriend was a cat. <laughs> Pete says that Wendy's jealous of his wife and that his wife, Karen, loved Alexis. Excuse me? Munch reminds Pete that Alexis isn't dead yet, so past tense is yeah. eyebrows, eyebrows. That was weird. And it's weird how often that happens with guilty yeah. people being questioned. In the precinct with Huang, Novak, Benson, and Stabler, Huang says that two cups of detergent were pumped out of Alexis's stomach. Stabler's fucking dad rattling and says that Karen's story about it being an accident's a lie. A kid wouldn't willingly drink that much detergent. Yeah. No shit. Benson thinks Pete had to know how Karen felt about Alexis. Novak says since Pete wasn't home when it happened, he isn't criminally responsible. Stabler goes, but we got the mother, right? And Novak asks, how's the seven-year-old? She's fucking solid, watertight. I'd believe her over any of my kids. <laughs> what are there, four or five of them? They're all dogs to me. <laughs> Which means he loves them very much. Very much. Novak steps on his toes and asks if there's any chance he could have influenced her statement. Hey, Novak, are you Kirsten Dunst? Did you play Amy in Little Women? Because you're on thin ice, lady. Oh, shit, Tasha. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That was so good. Stupid. Thank you. <laughs> Benny's in the background pinching the bridge of her nose because she knows how Staves is going to react to a pretty standard concern from a lawyer. Mm -hmm. He says to Novak, mm, yeah, no possibility I influenced her statement like at all. I've been doing this a lot longer than you, counselor. And in case you forgot, I'm a dad. Kids are my business and business is good. <laughs> End quote. And quote, Novak professionally responds and lets him know she's got to cover their shit because kids under nine aren't automatically considered swearable. Mm -hmm. Or do you want to fuck that up and take it out on her later, Stabler? Hmm, let me guess what happens. Fucking mm. shut up, Stabler. He's such Wong a fucking piece of shit. This, I feel like we say that every episode. Like, Stabler's this, such a this fuck. This episode, you know who's great? Christopher Maloney is great. And I can separate him from this person. I don't really like Stabler sometimes. And that's okay. I mean, Benson's great 99% of the time. So, I mean, Huang's mm -hmm. going to talk to Katie to see if she understands the differences between lies and truth and the consequences of lying in court. Then they'll know if they can rely on her to testify. In the SVU children's interview room, Huang and Katie are sitting at a tiny little table coloring and chatting. They're talking about truths and lies, and he's leading her down this little path of pretty hilarious questioning. Mm -hmm. They discuss promises and promises made to God in a church. Katie understands that you get in trouble when you lie. If you make a promise to God to tell the truth and then you lie, what happens? She goes, you really, really get in trouble. This whole line of shit leading to swearing on the Bible in court is what they're doing here. But I hate the threat of a fiery eternity being presented to kids. It's like, yeah, but if you lie to God. Mm. Yeah. Like, how is that okay? Yeah. Novak and Gates discuss the case with Judge Taft. It's fucking Tom Skerritt. 170 credits dating back to 1962. He was Viper in Top Gun. He was in Steel Magnolias, A River Runs Through It, The Other Sister. His mustache played Sheriff Jimmy Brock in Picket Fences. <laughs> I love A River Runs Through It. I've watched that so oh, many fucking times. 
So good. Novak and Gates are talking with Judge Taft, you know, mustache guy. Taft thinks that having Katie as the chief witness is ballsy as fuck, but Novak argues that it worked in other cases, including one with a three-year-old. Novak and Gates kind of fight about different cases where children were and were not competent to tell the truth in court. Novak tells them that Katie has been examined by a psychologist to ensure that she knows that it's her duty to tell the truth. Taft keeps talking about how shit is different when it's in his court. Again, Miss Novak, this is my court and wants to conduct a swearability examination himself in his chambers. And then this motherfucker also tells Novak that when she appears in court, he expects her to be dressed appropriately, which means in a skirt. And I'm like, mm. oh, fuck, he's a misogynist. And no matter what Novak does, he's never going to trust a, wom- a woman. You can tell just by that statement. Because when Ooh. he walks away, Gates, like, you can see in his face, he's like, give me a W, I won. We're done. You know? W's for win, not women. Get yeah. out of here, Novak. <laughs> right. Go shave your legs from the knee down and put a fucking skirt on, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> what is this, Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> now we're in Taft's chambers. They're doing Katie's swearability examination. A court recorder is present. So this fucking guy doesn't dumb it down for a seven-year-old. He's fucking talking to her like she's a 43-year-old waitress that forgot to bring him butter or something. I think he would be a lot meaner to the server. And he's really forceful and loud and kind of gets in her face. And he asks her these questions that are long and weird. Like, if you knew something was wrong or right, would you be able to say it was wrong or right? And she was like, what? speak up you know and she's like oh my god i don't know And he's like do you know what the word truth means and she's like i don't know the first thing he did was make her shut down yeah and then she's not going to answer any question after that that's why they had a psychiatrist that works with children and that's why it's super weird that a psychiatrist wasn't present for this or to be the one to ask the questions and then the judge just monitors it but whatever this guy is fucking he has misogyny blinders on an ego and yeah he's just and an ego like you can't i mean he's tom fucking scarrett right anyways she fucking runs out and Novak's like, dude, for real? I was confused by some of those questions. I wouldn't go around admitting that, Miss Novak. <sighs> mm-hmm. Why are women angry? Yeah. So because Katie's testimony is inadmissible now, Gates wants to dismiss the case. Novak's like, hey, guys, Katie actually still can testify. She just can't be sworn in. But her statement can be corroborated by the detergent that was pumped from Alexis's stomach. Two cups. My God. And then Gates is like, nah, the detergent corroborates an accidental ingestion. Novak wants the jury to decide and Taft actually agrees with her. Gates argues against Katie having been interviewed alone by SVU, but Novak tells them that it's standard procedure. Child witnesses don't need parental supervision. We learned that just a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. If Stabler can prove he didn't tell Katie what to say, Taft will allow the testimony. So we're actually going to hear a judge poke at Stabler till Stabler shows he's unhinged and the case will be dismissed. Oh my God. Did you call that before the scene? <laughs> yes. I wrote that down. <laughs> Fucking perfect. <laughs> Now we're at the Huddy hearing. Stabler takes a stand and he's being examined by Novak. He says that Katie introduced her mom, Karen, into the conversation without him even asking. So far, so Because they're like, how did she get brought in the conversation? And she's he's like, she did it. I didn't do anything. I was just here. I was coloring, being a dad. <laughs> Novak asked Stabler if he provoked Katie to talk shit about her mom. And Stabler says he did not express any opinion about Karen to Katie. And then Gates cross-examines and asks why there wasn't a recording produced of Katie's statements. Stabler tells him it's not standard procedure to record witnesses' statements. Gates is like, oh, cool. So if you make a mistake, no one will hear it. And Stabler's like, I didn't make a mistake. He's such yeah. any fucking little thing, man. That statement right there, a judge who's like, I don't make any mistakes. He hears someone else say that. That is projection mm-hmm. 101. He's going to hear that and go, <laughs> 
a man who can't admit that he makes mistakes, mm -hmm. I believe there was a mistake made. Like, that is such an ego response. Right. Oh, God. And then Gates asked Stabler, if a child is injured, who is your first suspect? And he's like, well, obviously, yeah, the parents. Gates asks if he was out to get Karen, and he's like, no. Gates brings up that Stabler told Karen that if he had anything to do with it, he'd never see her kid again when he arrested her. We all remember that. Gates says, sounds like you have some pretty strong feelings about this from the get-go. Stabler says that shit was taken out of context. His feelings have nothing to do with this and bullshit from everything we've ever seen. His feelings have everything to do with everything. Oh my God, yeah. everything. And this is when the camera cuts to Novak. Her eyebrows are on an elevator headed to the top floor. She's not pumped to hear that Stabler ran his mouth to fucking Karen. She is finding this out mm -hmm. right now. So she's like, fuck. Gates says that Stabler assumed Karen was guilty and that made him conduct the interview with Katie in a biased way. And Stabler's like, nope, I know how to do my job. Oh, you do? Taft decides Novak hasn't proved her side and only proved that Katie's interview was suggestive. The suppression of Katie's statement has been granted. They couldn't prove that Stabler didn't guide Katie's statement. Stabler fucking is walking out. out of course. He goes, this is a joke. Yeah. And Taft hears him and he says, what, what did you say? Stabler is pissed that the judge thinks he bullied Katie. And then he says, you're one of those judges who thinks cops strong arm witnesses to make their case. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, it happens all, what do you mean? <laughs> like, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. And then Novak tells him to fucking yeah. chill. She's like, Elliot. <laughs> what? Elliot. Elliot. <laughs> She's like, get out of here. And Taft goes, actually don't. Um, you're going to be staying with us. You're in contempt. And the fucking cops take him out. <laughs> Two egos, one night, get your tickets. These fucking guys ruining everything. Novak's like, I barely sleep as it is. <sighs> Fuck. So Novak has to take her time out to go get Stabler out of his fucking little jail cell. And he's being a little man brat about it. Oh, thanks for getting me a couple hours off work. He's laying down with his fucking jacket as a pillow. Just, oh. She can't believe that he's blaming the shit on her. And I can. Yeah. He's upset she let the defense come for him. What? I'm Karen's husband, Peter, at the beginning of the episode. What? She can't just yell things. You can't, yeah. I mean, you can yell like, I object. You can't be like, wait, but no. Don't talk uh, to him like that. What the fuck? You can't Ugh. walk away from a judge and go, this is bullshit. This yeah. Is, this is stupid. I hate this. You're not my real dad. <laughs> if my, one of my kids was going to their room and they mumbled some bullshit under their breath, you fucking know. I'd be like, what did you just say? Yeah. What did you say? Cool. Yeah. Five more minutes. Yeah. Cool. You can clean your room while you're up there. Right. Like, mm -mm. The next time I'm just going to go, you're in contempt. <laughs> <laughs> be like Warm the car up. I'm taking Darla to jail. And she'll be like, no. <laughs> so he's upset that she let the defense come for him. And Novak's pissed that his little dirty diaper fit in the courtroom and is going to make Judge Taft screw her in the trial. But hey, at least your ego's still intact. <laughs> Former judge, when we're having drinks, call me Mary. Uh, Clark <laughs> actually is the one who called in a favor to get him out. She's waiting around the corner. Mm -hmm. She fucking spanks him like he should have been and tells him he's being a petulant child. Mm -hmm. She got Stabler's contempt charge dismissed and tells Novak to play nice with Taft. And mm -hmm. Novak goes, dude, he's a fucking prick. And Mary mm -hmm. goes, yeah, duh. He also doesn't like when he's not the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. Stabler's the kind of man I avoid as much as possible here and goes, <coughs> and you're worried about my ego? This guy abuses his power and gets away with it. You're not on our side. Mm -hmm. Shut up. Shut this, up. This guy's, <laughs> I'm, I'm not the worst guy in the room. I'm not the worst guy, so you should appreciate me. Ugh. Mary tells Novak winning a trial is more important than having to wear a skirt, so she has to pick her battles. And I fucking hate that I get it. She's like, you're not in law school anymore. Uh, oh. 
You can't wear your jean jacket to court. But it's like when you're, uh, oh my God. <laughs> if you stay under the glass ceiling, like it's going to be, it's going to be hard. Wear the skirt. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's, oh, it's so frustrating. I know. Because you're also, she's telling her not to fuck around with a judge because you're dealing with somebody's life. You know? But here's the thing is the fact that like that's a thing. That's our justice system. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. You know, ju- judges are supposed to be impartial, but they're at, they absolutely are not. Mm-hmm. Now we go to the trial. Taft says that jury selection will begin the following day. Both lawyers agree and fucking dickhead Taft goes, oh, la da Let's all hold hands and tell our natural birth stories. It's so nice when everybody gets along. Your mm-hmm. literal job as an attorney is to argue, but I can't differentiate between the ethics of my job I'm at and how I measure my dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeez. He goes on to say that the charge of assault in the first degree is reasonable, but asks if Novak is overreaching with the attempted murder charge. She argues that the grand jury didn't think so. Yeah, she was confused. She was like, um, what? The grand jury? What are you talking about? How many men were on the grand jury? Okay, fine. Yeah. Gates brings up that Karen wants to waive her right to a jury trial and would rather appear before the court, as in the judge, not a jury, will make this call. Yeah, because Gates totally picks up on, he's like, I got this. Immediately. Yeah. He didn't tell both of us to wear a skirt. He just told you to wear a skirt. (laughs) I get it. We're in the same club. (laughs) Admission is our penis. (laughs) Novak cites People v. Williams because she could just pull that out of her ass. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. It says a waiver can be denied if it's intended to seek an impermissible advantage. Oh, shit. He flips his hair and long blinks his fresh set of lashes and asks, (laughs) what advantage is that, Miss Novak? She gulps and the lump in her throat looked like when a snake eats a rabbit hole and goes, your perceived favor, your majesty. And then she curtsied. (laughs) He explains what waiving and trial and defense mean to Cabot, like a fucking five-year-old, and says it'll be harder for the defense, sweetie. (laughs) If they do that, if they just present it to me, that's actually harder for the defense. Yeah. He grants the waiver, and they're going to proceed directly to trial. Mm -hmm. Novak's just standing there until she gets the balls to request that Taft recuse himself from the trial on the grounds that his conduct shows a clear bias in favor of the defense. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, my God. Get out of the water, kids. The swell is huge. It's just... (laughs) She says he should recuse himself to preserve the appearance of impartiality to the court. Mm. And Taft denies her motion. She's fucked. It's wild that the person whose judgment is in question gets to decide if it's cool or not. Yeah, he was like, I feel like I'm sufficiently unbiased. So denied. And I was like, you can just do that. Also, I'll remember that. Yeah. And so will all of his buddies. Yeah. He looked over his glasses and mustache at her like, "Mm." Mm -hmm. and then his mustache exploded into a pile of smoke and was gone. (laughs) (laughs) And all everybody heard was a tiny whisper. Is this your car? (laughs) What the fuck? Novak goes to meet up with If We're Having Drinks, Call Me Mary at an outdoor cafe or lunch spot place. Uh. Mary's blown away. Oh my God, you asked an egomaniac to recuse himself? Novak tells her about Taft saying she was reaching with the attempted murder charge and how she thinks that already tells her he's against her. Mm -hmm. Mary thinks he's just trying to get Novak to plead out the case and make his life easier. So as they're sitting there, Novak's filling out paperwork and it's to get Taft recused. She appears before the appellate court that afternoon. Mm. (gasps) 
Mary cannot believe Novak's big, shiny brass ones. It's one thing to ask for a recusal, but to publicly humiliate a judge? My stars. All the other judges on the BFF court squad will be so mad. Mm-hmm. Also, she's pretty much fucked because the trial judge is in charge of the final decision regarding recusal, so that's who the appellate term will defer to. Yeah. She's going to make herself the enemy of every courtroom in Manhattan if she goes through with it. Novak rightfully mentions that it's unfair that a biased judge gets to decide if he's biased or not, right? Yeah. Mary tells her to plead out the case, otherwise Karen's going to get acquitted. This is so fucked. I know. There's no checks and balances for judges, I feel like. Or anybody with that high level of power. Yeah. Ugh, we're saying that like we're just... Because we're if somebody tries to like, you know... Hot take, you guys. Weed out the bad ones, everybody else is pissed. It's fucking... When they're like, oh, did you call the rat squad? You mean the people that hold you accountable? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So now we're back at the courthouse. Novak and Stabler do a little walk and talk. Novak tells Stabler about the plea deal and says that they have to plead her out. She's going to get acquitted. And Stabler's like, Daddy, chill. And gives Novak papers from the adoption agency Alexis was adopted through. Fucking Karen tried to give Alexis back in February, six months after she was adopted. If Karen loved Alexis so much, why would she try and give her back? Novak is pumped and is going to present the info to Taft. And then she says, let's see Karen try and get out of this shit. Karen takes a stand. She admits feeling overwhelmed with the birth of the twins, and she's embarrassed that she tried to give Alexis back. She thought she would be better off with a mother that could be devoted to her. She feels if she's guilty about anything, it was not being able to keep her eyes on her all the time. Gates asks about Alexis getting into the detergent. Karen said Alexis was fine after she got into the detergent. Who fucking says that? She didn't know and thought Alexis had gotten a stomach bug from Katie, who had been sick the week before. She drank deter- Okay. Alexis passed out and turned blue, and that's when she was concerned. Still waited for when her husband got home, and then they went to the hospital. Novak cross-examines. She asked Karen to confirm that Alexis seemed fine the whole day. Karen confirms it. Novak asks the court recorder to read the document from the doctor outlining Alexis's injuries. Alexis suffered pneumonitis. She vomited and aspirated the cleaning solution, causing her to slowly suffocate. Alexis would have been coughing, vomiting, and in excruciating pain for hours. Novak asked why Karen didn't take her to the hospital sooner. Was it because she was afraid that the doctors would think she poisoned her? Karen is upset and says no. Gates objects and says that Novak is badgering, and the judge agrees. Later, the music is all swelly. The jury finds Karen not guilty. Taft says that it is clear that Karen loves Alexis, and he thinks that there is no way that a mother could do this. <laughs> then he bangs the gavel and stares at Novak. And I'm like, this fucking guy needs to retire, like, today. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, do you know nothing about statistics? Do you know what, uh, Yeah. <laughs> oh, he thinks he does. That's why he has that bias. But anyway, outside Novak meets up with Stabler, and she apologizes, but Stabler knows she fought for the case. Novak wants Taft off the fucking bench, and I want to go back to high school, throw on a rubber, and never have Marine, but wish in one hand and shit in the other. Am I right, Novak? <laughs> She's like, what? Novak's like, uh, I'm going to go after Taft. I don't know what that's about. Stabler tries to tell her not to, because she's going to kill her career, but she's made her decision, saying, if this is justice, I don't want this career. Yes, Ooh, bitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Novak goes over to Mary Clark's office. Mary's wearing the cutest little skirt suit with brown leather detail. Did you clock that? Mm-mm. It was almost like, I, I don't know. I can't even describe it. It was like a fitted suit jacket and skirt combo with this strappy brown leather buckling detail around the jacket. It's It was just really cute. She mm. show pony trots so adorably out of a meeting to talk to Novak. <laughs> and she looks super itty bitty next to Novak. So I looked up their heights. If we're having drinks, call me 5'4 because she's little. She's about my height and Novak is freaking 5'10". <laughs> oh shit. Novak asked Mary to help her with her fight against Taft and Mary tells her it's a waste of time. Novak went through past cases to prove that Taft disregards procedure, is biased and that attorneys who have asked for his recusal all lose their cases including another poisoning case. Mm. Mary reluctantly gives in and asks to take a look at the paperwork. So in this paperwork is an insane case and this is completely what the chaser's about. Mm-hmm. This mom, Rosalind Silvo, takes her daughter to the ER and gets arrested for poisoning her with antifreeze. She waives her right to a trial, but then Taft won't let their expert witness testify that the girl had a genetic disease. That lady's lawyer asked for recusal, and now she's doing 25 to life. Mm. Novak asks Mary to call Jack Dreyer at the State Commission of Judicial Conduct and asks if anyone has filed any complaints against Taft. Mary tells her to go talk to that dude herself, and he's going to laugh her out of his office. Novak wants just the tiniest bit of help. Come on. uh, It's just a phone call. Right. Mary wants solid proof of Taft's actions, but she's done talking about it if Novak can't find that proof. Mm -hmm. She's not about to go into something half-assed or something that is going to come back and bite her. There's a reason that Mary has had so many drinks in such a long career. Mm -hmm. Novak walks and talks to the lawyer from the antifreeze mom Silvo case that requested Taft recuse, okay? He calls Taft a pompous son of a bitch. He left criminal law because of Taft's decision to convict his client. Taft wouldn't allow an expert witness to talk about a rare genetic disease that could have been read wrong by the lab. That shit costs money, though, and this lawyer was court-appointed, so Taft had to approve any requests for spending. Ooh. That sounds... Fucking weird. That's not a thing that I knew. I I didn't know that either, and it doesn't seem appropriate. Mm -hmm. The lawyer thinks Taft is biased in his views of what a good mother is. Wealthy, still married, educated. His client didn't fit that ideal. She was uneducated, poor, and a single mom. The lawyer asked for recusal, and it was denied. Mm. Taft didn't even try to hide his bias against Rosalind Silvo. Then Taft told the other judges, and the lawyer stopped getting referrals. He Mm. had to leave criminal law because Taft was trying to fucking ruin him. Novak wants him to hop on board and file a complaint with her to the Judicial Commission, and he won't do it. And he comes for her a little bit and says, your office helped put her in jail. Why don't you do something to get her out? Mm -hmm. She's like, dude, I'm trying so hard. Have you been here for this whole conversation? Right. Like, This is what I'm here to talk to you about. But I get what he's saying. Help Rosalind Silvo. So back at the precinct, Novak gives the gang the updates on her plan and discusses the case of Rosalind Silvo. They show her picture and it's Becky Connor. Yep, it's fucking Becky Connor, uh, Roseanne's OG fucking daughter. God, I wish Roseanne didn't fucking suck so much. So the gang reviews the case. Silvo brought her baby Christine into the ER because she was lethargic and vomiting. The doctors found she had a high amount of ethylene glycol in her blood. Fucking antifreeze. The baby died in a few hours and the hospital called the police, obviously. Silvo was arrested and charged with murder. Silvo had found out she was pregnant during the trial and had the kid when she was in prison and the kid's still in foster care. The medical examiner confirmed that baby Christine had crystals in the brain that could have developed from drinking antifreeze, but there was no antifreeze found in Silvo's home. They think she got rid of it on the way to the hospital? That's what 
Cragen says, Cragen asks if anything came of the whole mystery genetic disease thing. Novak says there was a preliminary hearing about how a cousin died of the same disease, but because the defense attorney couldn't find the father of the cousin, Taft wouldn't allow the information to be introduced to the case. What? Cragen's like, look, I'm all for fucking up a shitty judge, but I don't have the manpower to fuel a vendetta. And then Taylor goes, he's like, well, you know, it's not that much work. I'm, I'm, I think I, we can do I, it. I do it all the time. Yeah. He's ready to fuck Taft my up. Half my job is vendettas. You didn't hear that, boss. Well, yeah. And then Cragen says, well, geez, thank you for being such a little helper, Elliot. And fucking stares him down. Like, shut up, you little bitch. It's not your call. And that was hilarious. I actually, like, laughed a little bit out loud. Well, thank you for being such a real helper, Elliot. <laughs> Novak says, come on, man, it's only two interviews, the mother and the genetics professor that was supposed to testify. And then if nothing comes out of it, I'll fucking drop it. Now we're at Hudson University Department of Genetics. The day after April 20th, Munch and Toot speak with Dr. Keldon. He was in Dolly Parton's Heartstrings in 2019. Oh. He says that all of this just was an untested theory, but the symptoms of what seemed to be antifreeze poisoning could have been MMA, methylmalonic acidemia. So with MMA, the body lacks an important enzyme that breaks down protein for energy production. In the older testing, the substance that MMA produces would show up to appear like ethylene glycol, but a newer test would be able to prove whether baby Christine had MMA or not. Benson and Stabler go to talk to Silvo fucking Roseanne's daughter. She's glad that people are looking into this. She's been waiting for someone to figure this out. Stabler tells her not to get her hopes up yet. There's a chance she won't get out. And she's like, I understand. Silvo's other kid that she had in jail, Diana, is 10 now. She shows Benson and Stabler a picture of her. Diana writes to her and comes to see her every once in a while, but she's kind of like, I don't know if that's good because it's kind of a jail isn't a place for a kid. Silvo thinks Diana thinks that she's guilty of killing Christine. She's like, my own daughter thinks I did it. Stabler tells Silvo that her lawyer thinks Christine died from the genetic disorder. And they ask how her behavior was. And Silvo says that Christine was fussy sometimes, but mostly she was just happy. And then Silvo's like, well, you know, but maybe I wasn't paying enough attention. She goes over what happened when she took Christine to the hospital. Everyone was so nice to her until they ran the tests on Christine. Mm. They talked about antifreeze and she was like, oh my God, like who would do this to my baby? And then she got arrested. What a fucking nightmare. I know. Baby Christine died while they were taking her mug shots. Stabler asks her permission to exhume Christine so they can help prove Silvo's innocence. She's upset about that, but agrees to it and whispers, make sure you're good to her, okay? Oh. Oh. In the Emmy office, Corner Warner found enough DNA to test for MMA and Christine did have it. Mm. But the crystallization in Christine's brain is consistent with ethylene glycol poisoning. But the crystallization is from the treatment the hospital gave Christine. They do that when someone comes in with ethylene glycol poisoning. Mm -hmm. But because she had MMA and not ethylene glycol poisoning, the ethanol drip that they gave her caused the crystallization. That's Mm. what killed her. Mm -hmm. Stabler says that Silvo spent 10 years in prison for nothing. Plow. Novak ambushes Mary on the street. Novak tells her that Silvo is innocent and hands her the Emmy report. It proves that Taft's bias runs into his courtroom. Mary looks up and gets to say the dream line for a dramatic actor. That son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Mary fucking Clark offers to represent Silvo and says she'll write up the 440 motion right away. Way ahead of you. Novak pulls a thick ass motion out of her Jan Sport and gives it to Mary. These <laughs> bitches are in sync. Clark also Ugh. calls him like a disgrace to the bench and an embarrassment or something. Yeah. Yeah. Which I was like, ooh. That son of a bitch. That son of a bitch. 
At the motion hearing, Mary presents the new findings to Judge Preston, which prove Rosalind Sobo's innocence. Preston's hair is always wild and huge and amazing, and I love it. It's <laughs> I like, love it. Yeah. It's really great hair. It's great hair. So Mary's presenting these new findings. They prove Rosalind Sobo's innocence. Taft just fucking strolls in into the courtroom Mm -hmm. and Mary takes this perfectly timed moment to tell the judge furthermore that fuckface who just walked in denied the opportunity to present this evidence in the initial trial Mm. so Mary is presenting this information Novak who's the prosecutor is at the other table but they're tag team and high-fiving really hard across the aisle Mm -hmm. and so the judge looks to Novak like hey what do you think you're the one who's opposing this and Novak's like oh no I totally agree Um, we can set aside Silvo's conviction. Mm-hmm. Silvo is immediately released and she and her daughter are in the courtroom hugging and crying. Ugh. Taft walks up strictly to be a rude fucking mm-hmm. dick to Mary Clark and Novak. Oh, when we're having drinks, call me a little baby legal aid sucking my thumb baby, right, Mary? That's you. <laughs> and Novak, if you want all my history to sift through and contest, why don't you suit up and crawl up my ass to get it? And then he burps at her face. <laughs> <laughs> Mary tells him he can't bully his way out of what's happening. She's so strong now. Yep. She's strong because she and Novak are supporting each other. Support other women. Taft leaves. Novak answers a call and listens for a millisecond and goes, oh, God. Mm -hmm. Yep. We're at the Campbell residence, which is Pete, Karen... Rescue and police are on scene. Stabler meets Novak outside. You see a body being taken away out of the house. Mm -hmm. Alexis had been released from the hospital and the parents did not want to put her in a nursing home. (laughs) The Aunt Wendy stopped by and found Alexis dead in her bed. Karen was the only other person at home. Benson arrests Karen and walks around the house and is reading her her rights. Now we're back at the precinct. Karen's being questioned. Novak Gates and Stabler are present. Stabler says, well, 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 here we are again. What happened? Do you miss us? And he's like rubbing his eyes like, what the fuck happened? I want an explanation as to why you guys didn't place Alexis in a nursing home. And why did you have to fucking kill her? Gates argues that Alexis did not get murdered. She died from the poisoning. And that Karen can't be charged again with murdering her. Double Jeopardy starring Ashley Judd. Oh my god, I love that movie so much. I know. (laughs) Benson comes in just at the right moment. They always do this. Unless we're talking about two separate acts, right? Which we fucking are. Benson says that Alexis didn't die from her previous poisoning. She had been fucking suffocated. Stabler's like, how did it feel to suffocate Alexis? Then Karen, she's bawling and she's like, I didn't want to bring her home. Pete insisted. Alexis wouldn't stop crying. Karen just wanted her to be quiet. Nobody feels sorry for you. Yeah. She says the judge told her to do it and it was Taft's idea. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? He said Alexis was too sick and that she had other children to think about and that they would be probably better off if Alexis just died. He said that to her in the elevator in the courthouse before she fucking testified. Gates is like, this fucking interview is over and makes Novak and Stabler get out of the room. Outside of the room, Cragen meets them. He was listening on the other side of the glass in his office. Not doing one because we weren't in there with him. <sighs> Them's the rules. I don't make them up. Okay. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I make up all those rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Outside the room, Cragen meets them. He was listening on the other side of the glass in his office. Stabler wants to know what Taft was doing talking to a fucking defendant before the trial. And Novak okay. says, fucking hanging himself. We got the bastard now. Karen's confession fucking nullified her acquittal. She's done. She's toast. Gates comes out and says he wants to make it perfectly clear that he had no idea about the conversation between Taft and Karen. 
allegedly Taft saw Karen crying in the elevator during lunch and told her that she had to think about her other children and that Alexis would be better off if she died. And he told her to get psychological help so that this wouldn't happen again. Novak says what he told her to get a shrink and Gates says, and I think it's a fine idea. So fucking Taft knew Karen was guilty and like wanted her to get a therapist to not repeat it. That's mm-hmm. fucking wild. Gates advised Karen to not answer any more questions. Novak tells the gang to get Karen booked and to pick up Taft on criminal facilitation in the second degree. Since Taft told Karen to get help, he knew the poisoning wasn't an accident and he asked her to get help because he thought she would do something to the other kids if she didn't. Yeah. The acquittal gave her the opportunity to commit a class A felony. Cragen argues that he's protected by judicial immunity and Novak says he smoked his immunity when he had an ex parte communication with the defendant. I love how much they say ex parte. I know. I like it too. I was going to try to keep changing it to be because he talked to her, but I was like, I like ex parte. Mm-mm. Nope, that's the term. And we are professionals. Mm-hmm. So... Detectives go over to Taft's to arrest him. He's having a fancy party with bow ties and waiters tray passing little pigs in a blanket around. Benson asks him to step outside while Stabe snags a little snack off a tray. They tell him that Alexis was suffocated by Karen and that he knew Karen was a danger to her, but he let her go. Stabe tells him his mustache and his tuxedo (laughs) that the law dictates that they can't arrest him in his own home, but they can make a scene if needed. They can't arrest him in his own home? Like you can't arrest a judge? at his house like what the fuck is that i don't know i mean there is a full-on fancy gala party happening in this guy's house everybody's in a goddamn tux there's jewels everywhere and taft quietly and embarrassedly goes you're all gonna be sorry for this and stabe stuffs the last of whatever his (laughs) yummy puff pastry thing is in his mouth and goes yeah and you're gonna look so pretty for your mug chat (laughs) yeah that was awesome he like just did what i would be doing like housed a fucking shrimp thing or i don't know what the fuck it was it yeah it was like some kind of tartlet or whatever he i mean he was shoveling he had pockets full of (laughs) the second they got walked in there he was grabbing shit off hors d'oeuvre platters at the arraignment novak's presenting to the judge and taft's lawyer interrupts calling her overzealous and angry that she lost her case and is just retaliating Mm -hmm. novak says that taft acted outside the scope of his position by the ex parte communication with karen This judge has been around since season two, but I don't know if he got a haircut or something, but I'm just noticing him now. He looks like central casting for a Western, okay? Mm. He's a small town (gasps) sheriff in Wyoming in real life. Yeah. Ugh. The judge tells Novak that an acquittal does not constitute aid to commit a felony and tells her she's making a mockery of the court and Mm. throws the case out. He calls the whole thing misconduct on Novak's part. Mm-hmm. He tells her he's going to tell Arthur Branch about it. I'm telling dad. <laughs> so they end it. Mary Clark comes up afterwards and tells Novak she's got fucking balls. And Novak's bummed because Taft probably won't get any more than censure from a judicial commission for the ex parte, mm-hmm. which I looked up because I didn't know what it meant. And it basically is a, an official frowny face. They'll be like, <laughs> and he'll be like, <laughs> I like the zip line. I don't know. <laughs> Mary's looking at Taft and making threatening eye contact to him, but continues to talk to Novak and says, well, you've got a star witness for Karen's murder trial. Bloop. Meaning we're going to put Taft on the stand. Mm-hmm. So now we're over at the trial. Novak is examining Taft. He's there under a subpoena that he unsuccessfully tried to dismiss, get rid of, not 
apply to himself. Novak asks Taft to explain <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Novak asks Taft to explain why he dismissed Karen's trial, and he says he felt the people had not proved their case against Karen. Mm. Well, Novak brings up that Taft spoke with Karen on the elevator. Ex parte. Mm-hmm. Taft says talking to Karen on the elevator was ill-advised, but he allowed his empathy to overrule his intellect in the moment. And Novak's like, yeah, dude, you felt super sorry for her, but we were still in the middle of the trial. For all you knew, as an impartial judge, it hadn't been proven to you she wasn't responsible for the condition of her daughter. Mm -hmm. This guy does his own objecting about Cabot's (laughs) line of questioning. Yeah. He looks at the objection. It's like, what? (laughs) He says it should be about what he said, not what his thoughts were. But Novak's ready. She tells the judge, well, actually, Karen said the judge told her to kill her daughter. We got to establish his state of mind during that conversation. Mm -hmm. The presiding judge leans over to Taft and goes, girl, you're embarrassing yourself. Leave the objecting to the attorneys and answer the damn question, Mm -hmm. please. Back to Novak, who is fully in her element right now. Mm Okay, so you felt sorry for her before the trial was over. You must have thought she was innocent. Or was she guilty? He says he hadn't formed an opinion yet because the trial wasn't over. Mm -hmm. Novak is getting hyped. Oh, weird. Then you for sure shouldn't have been talking to her on a goddamn elevator telling her to seek help so the tragedy didn't happen again. Kind of makes it sound like you thought she was guilty and still acquitted her. Mm -hmm. He yells at Novak that he made one mistake in 30 years. Mm -hmm. But Novak's ready for that, too. She brings up Silvo's wrongful conviction and 10 years in prison. Mm -hmm. Taft argues that Silvo's case doesn't have anything to do with the current case and uses judge talk again, calling it immaterial. Novak goes, you can't object, Judge Taft, and gets in his grill. I don't think I've ever loved her harder than this this very moment. She was, yeah. The presiding judge tells Novak to move on. Taft denies telling Karen to suffocate. Alexis and that talking to her like he said was a mistake I loved this entire monologue so I'm gonna do it now okay Novak okay you don't make mistakes you make judgments who's innocent who's guilty you saw Rosalind Silvo and she was a whore that means she's a bad mother and then you saw Karen Campbell why did you talk to her judge Taft jumps up to tattle to the presiding judge, but Novak keeps going. Taft starts yelling back that he didn't know. He thought that the Campbells were good people. Mm -hmm. The presiding judge pounds the gavel. Jesus, sit down, dude. You guys are going to be in contempt if you don't chill out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Taft sits down and Novak has nothing further. She goes full Triple H and tells him to suck it and goes and sits down. Taft yelling about his assumption of the Campbells proves his bias. Mm -hmm. Quote, I thought they were good people. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) And they're just like, they. neither one of them will back down from eye contact. If Mm -mm. they could fist fight, they would in a parking lot. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. Later, the jury comes out. Karen is found guilty on the charge of murder in the second degree. And they zoom in on her face and she looks surprised. And I'm like, why are you surprised? Like, you literally... (laughs) Okay. She's just like, I can't believe this is happening to me. You're like, "Mm, okay. you All right. The judge says, quote, this was a crime that could have been prevented. While this trial exemplifies the very best aspects of our legal system, it has also highlighted its flaws. It is my sincere hope that in the future, those flaws can be corrected. And the court is adjourned. Outside the courtroom, press surrounds Taft. One reporter is like, what are your thoughts on being reassigned to civil court? Because he was. And another asked about the civil case. And another asks about his conduct investigation. And he won't say anything. And Stabler and Novak watch from the side. And Novak's like, fuck yeah. Mm. Toy fucking Yoda. Toy Yoda. Another one bites the dust. Bow, bow, 
Boom. Boo. Novak's a bad bitch. Oh, <laughs> yeah. This has been my favorite thus far of Novak this episodes. Is a, this is a good one. So good. So in this episode, if you remember the beginning, there's a note saying that it's based on real events. And it super duper is. I'm basically recapping a portion of this episode by telling you the true story. In 1986, a young gal named Patricia living in Jefferson County, Missouri, was working at a convenience store when she met David Stallings. They were two kids in love, excited to start a family. So they were married just two years later in 1988. Now she went by Patty. So that's what we're going to call her. Baby Ryan was born in April of 1989. He was a sweet little chub. On July 7th, 1989, 24-year-old new mom Patty was dealing with her three-month-old. Ryan was vomiting, mm. couldn't keep his food down. Since birth, he had struggled with chronic gastric distress, but this seemed worse. He became more and more lethargic. His breathing became labored and his vomiting uncontrollable. She rushed baby Ryan to the Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital in St. Louis. They immediately admitted him into the pediatric ICU. David and Patty rented a room at the hospital to be able to be right there with Ryan. The hospital did a bunch of tests, urine analysis, blood work, to try to find out what was going on with him. After three days, they were able to tell the Stallings what they found. The lab's tests revealed high levels of ethylene glycol and acetone in baby Ryan's blood. What? Antifreeze and nail polish remover. What the fuck? The hospital staff immediately believed someone had poisoned him and called the Missouri Division of Family Services. Also, that was a requirement. How old was the baby again? Sorry. Three months. Three he was months. Three months oh my old. God. Mm -hmm. That's like... Just a few weeks. How many weeks are in a... Four? It's 12 weeks. That's eight? It's 12, like 12, oh my God. 12 or 13 weeks he was. The Stallings had both antifreeze and nail polish remover in their house, but said they didn't understand how Ryan would have ingested them or why they were being investigated. Ten days later, now in protective custody, Ryan was released from the hospital into the care of a foster family. Patty mm. and David's contact with Ryan was strictly monitored and heavily restricted. They were allowed to have supervised visits with him once a week for one hour every Thursday morning. At the sixth visit on August 31st, 1989, Patty was left alone for a brief moment while she was feeding Ryan his bottle. Now, there was some discrepancy in the details of that, but I'll tell you that in a minute. So Patty's left alone for just a moment with her son. Three days later, Ryan was admitted to the hospital with the same symptoms as he had had when he was first admitted. What? Labored breathing and profuse vomiting. After he was taken in, police arrested Patty on charges of assault for poisoning him. The hospital staff was not confident in Ryan's recovery this time. He was placed mm. on life support, and David was told the end was inevitable. He oh pled God. with a judge to let Patty come be with them for Ryan's last hours, but the judge denied his request. Mm. On the evening of September 7th, 1989, David sat alone in the room holding baby Ryan for three hours before his son passed away in his arms. Oh my God. David called the jail to break the news to his wife that Ryan was gone. The officer on duty allowed him to come to the jail to be with her. Yeah. Following Ryan's death, Patty was charged with first-degree murder, and prosecutors wanted to go for the death penalty. She was not allowed to go to Ryan's funeral, but found out a few weeks into her time in jail that she was pregnant again. Oh my God. As Patty sat in prison awaiting trial and being put through intense mental fitness testing, she gave birth to another baby boy, their son, David Stallings Jr., on February 27th, 1990. Hmm. Now, I don't know how they allow this or like what the guidelines were at the time, but baby DJ was taken and placed in a foster home even though his dad wasn't charged with any crime. He did not have custody of him. That's interesting. I know. This ironically seemed to be the best thing to happen. When DJ was two weeks old, he started having the same symptoms of gastric <sighs> distress that his big brother had. 
Oh my and God. this little guy had zero contact with either of his birth parents. He too was taken to the children's hospital where this time they decided to do extensive testing because it just didn't make sense. Yeah. For this exact same thing to be happening, baby DJ was diagnosed with methylmalonic acidemia or MMA, an extremely rare genetic disease only occurring in one out of 50,000 births. <gasps> when someone has MMA, their body doesn't contain the enzymes needed to break down certain proteins and fats. So mm. what happens is byproducts from these things don't metabolize and build up in the blood, causing organ and brain damage and death unless the disease is caught early on. Like fucking oh. immediately yeah symptoms to look for are lethargy trouble breathing and vomiting oh my so, god this whole time she's been innocent and it's something with the oh my god so because baby dj's mma was discovered they were able to adjust his diet and work with what his body needed to to help him in his did they immediately let her out did they exhume they let her out like what the fuck how is she not released immediately oh my god keep going let me just finish about this thing because the biology okay. of it is is why just the all of the stars aligning for this to happen in this way and she had two kids that were like that that's got to be extra exactly, rare exactly that's what i'm saying the genetics of it mm -hmm. are the craziest part to me i loved biology class so this part of it i was just like oh my god recessive and dominant and blah, mm. so if david is a carrier of the mma gene with no conditions and mom is a carrier with no conditions there's only a one in four chance that ryan would have mma because it's the recessive gene they're mm -hmm. carrying the recessive gene right and on top of that there's another one in four chance that they would have been dealt the same hand with their second born so not only is this super duper rare both parents have the recessive gene the one in four chance 20 25% chance their first baby has MMA again 25% chance and then I don't even know what the statistics are added into like having Second. two kids in a row with that 25% shit like that it that you know what I mean that changes the odds yeah it, it was just a very unique situation mm -hmm. so with this new medical information Patty was released from jail on a recognizance bond while everything was weighed by the prosecution and some shit had to be presented before a judge because they were deciding whether to drop the charges or move forward or change them or whatever. She still wasn't allowed to have visitation with her baby though. Everyone on the side of the defense was like, OMG, this has been awful, but it's going to be over soon. This is all very obviously a big, terrible, unfortunate, tragic mistake. Yeah. Prosecuting attorney of Jefferson County, George McElroy, didn't agree. Patty's attorney, Eric Rathbone, and Prosecutor McElroy met before the judge in his chambers to argue for the maintaining of or dropping of the first-degree murder charge. McElroy argued that Ryan didn't die from MMA. He brought in four expert witnesses who all testified that even if Ryan had MMA, it wouldn't explain the ethylene glycol found in his blood. Two separate labs had concluded they did in fact find ethylene glycol when performing the blood test. He also presented the autopsy findings, crystals of calcium oxalate in Ryan's brain, which, as they said in the episode, is a pretty clear sign of ethylene glycol poisoning. Defense attorney Rathbone had no experts and said he couldn't find anyone to prove that Ryan died from MMA. What? So this is like 1990, 1991. Access to not only really high level scientists, biologists, it's probably tough anyway, but then somebody who specializes in a in an extremely- Very rare. Genetically rare disease. I mean, most doctors at the time weren't even aware of it. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the judge agreed with McElroy and also decided that baby DJ's diagnosis of MMA and the symptoms he shared with his big brother, Ryan, weren't 
admissible. What? They could not talk about DJ being born, being diagnosed with MMA. The, no. The symptoms that those things shared, nothing. What was this McElroy guy getting out of this? Like, what the actual um, fuck? He really was gung-ho about his thing. I mean, he did publicly say at one point, if enough question can be brought in or if experts can find that he did, in fact, die of MMA, I'm willing to retry it, which is like... Why couldn't they get... Exactly. Okay, okay. So obviously, the fact that they couldn't even mention DJ in court gave a wild advantage to the prosecution's case. Mm -hmm. So on to the trial in January of 1991. Their prosecution presented that more lab testing had revealed traces of ethylene glycol in the bottle Patty had used to feed Ryan on their last visit. Even though the foster mother had prepared the bottle before the visit, the prosecution argued when she was alone with Ryan for a moment, Patty slipped antifreeze into it and fed it to him. David also testified, Patty's husband, uh, DJ and Ryan's dad, and he gave a different account of what happened at that visit mm -hmm. because the prosecution was like she was alone with him for six to eight minutes and was feeding him a bottle at this time. And David said his parents came to visit with them. They were going to leave. He walked them to the door and walked back he said he left patty alone for 45 seconds at the most the bottle was still in the bag he was the one who retrieved the bottle to give it to her to feed him when ryan got fussy mm -hmm. in his closing arguments george mcelroy said to the jury quote don't try to understand why Patricia Stallings poisoned her child by feeding him from a baby bottle laced with antifreeze. The point is that she did it. Only she could have done it. After a 10-hour deliberation, the jury found Patty guilty of assault with a deadly weapon as well as first-degree murder. Oh she was sentenced to life with no possibility of parole. Oh my God, her husband, that's David, absolutely infuriating. Yeah. Well, and like, let's take a moment. Her baby died in a traumatic way. She was being investigated. She was arrested. She wasn't allowed to go to her baby's funeral or be with him in his last hours. She gave birth in the prison, is unable to bring actual facts into the trial and gets life in prison. Like she hasn't even been given the opportunity to mourn the death of her child. And she has another kid who's extremely sick with a rare disease and she doesn't know how he's being taken care of because she's sitting in prison. Mm. So when the verdict was read, David collapsed and had to be taken to the hospital. Her husband was absolutely beside himself. He believed wholeheartedly that his wife didn't do this. He was certain of her innocence and continued to speak on her behalf. Enter Unsolved Mysteries. <gasps> yeah. David was able to get Patty's story onto the popular show, and after it aired in May of 1991, people wanting to help called the Unsolved Mysteries hotline like crazy. Patty got herself a new defense team led by Robert Ritter. They petitioned the court for a new trial, citing ineffective counsel. I mean, they didn't bring any experts in. They, they She wasn't properly defended. For sure. No experts? The like... I know it was hard and stuff. I mean, the prosecution even agreed. They're like, yeah, that was like way too easy. Yeah. On July 30th, 1991, Patty was released and placed on house arrest, but at least she wasn't in prison. Very cool. Still no contact with her son. Who's like two now, right? At this point, well, July 30th, 1991, oh, wait, he was no, born. He's, he, he's about a year and a half. Oh, yeah. So this is very cool. She's out on house arrest. But even cooler, professor and chairman of biochemistry at St. Louis University, Dr. William Sly, like millions of other Americans, happened to catch the Unsolved Mysteries episode. He was immediately a little obsessed with the whole thing. 
And I love that not only was this guy into unsolved mysteries, but he did the ultimate deep dive. He's like, I am a science professional and I'm going to fuck with this and figure it out. He's like one of us, but like wicked smart and his deep dives actually get somewhere. Like they can actually yeah. result in something. So Dr. Sly and his, I love that his name is Dr. Sly, by the way. <laughs> So Dr. Sly and his colleague, Dr. James Shoemaker, another biochemist who also happened to be the director of St. Louis University's metabolic screening lab, which is exactly the kind of testing required for this sort of shit, right? Yeah. They wanted to run more tests on Ryan's blood to prove one way or the other what caused his death. Okay. They found that the original tests were not done using the proper methods. These dudes retested the blood the right way, which is so beyond my capabilities to even follow. There's just like diffused osmosis, micro expanding, separating, whatever. I mean, it's very like, how did we ever get to that point? But it's so impressive and wild. So they do this. The test first confirmed that Ryan, in fact, had MMA mm -hmm. like his brother, DJ. Okay. But remember, this prosecutor was like, yeah, but that wouldn't put ethylene glycol in his blood. So back to prison for her because that didn't prove it. Mm. Testing also revealed that the lab who originally tested Ryan's blood made another mistake. MMA can cause a buildup of propionic acid in the blood, which can easily be mistaken for what class? Ethylene glycol. Mm -hmm. The difference between the two is a few carbon atoms. Fucking A. Between a rare genetic disease and your mom poisoning you and going to prison for your murder. I hate this. Doesn't it sound like, like a movie thing that can't be real? Yeah. It's, I yeah. mean, this poor fucking family. Yeah. To take the testing even further, Shoemaker sent test samples of blood containing propionic acid to be tested at seven other laboratories. Three of them came back being misidentified as ethylene glycol. The prosecutor, remember, remember? Mm -hmm. He was like, I'm going to get another outside source. And I was like, I'm not really sure why he felt the need to do that. Because maybe these biochemists who didn't know Patty were biased. I don't know. No, I think he was just like, I want to get like a top notch doctor to do this. So he went to geneticist Dr. Piero Ronaldo at Yale University. This dude reviewed all of the research and testing and completely agreed with Dr. Sly and Shoemaker. Mm -hmm. The original tests were wrong. There were zero traces of ethylene glycol. Furthermore, a sterilization processing error had been responsible for the false findings of traces in the baby bottle. There wasn't ethylene glycol in the bottle, like they had said. What? One of the things that clinched the case, the crystallization on his brain that they found, which would be a result of ethylene glycol poisoning, was actually from an ethanol drip, which is the standard treatment for ethylene glycol poisoning given at the hospital. Oh my God. On September 20th, Dr. Dr. Ronaldo and Prosecutor McElroy held a press conference with the Stallings. It was publicly announced that independent testing showed Ryan's cause of death being MMA. McElroy apologized to the Stallings and announced that they would be given custody of DJ. Mm. Finally, two years after her arrest in October of 1991, Patty and David were reunited with their youngest son. The couple filed lawsuits against the hospital that treated Ryan as well as the labs that ran the original blood tests. Mm -hmm. They settled out of court for several million dollars. Doctors were able to manage DJ's MMA for quite some time. He did end up passing in 2013 at mm. 23 years old. Oh. Dad David Stallings passed away in 2019 at 57 after a long battle with illness. 
it's a benchmark case and is so scary that that is possible. And also it's like, yeah, duh, a lot of people are in prison, innocent. But like, think about being on that jury. You're not allowed to hear about the other son's diagnosis. Nobody's doing the testing to confirm the possibility of this information. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're only told there was ethylene glycol found in this bottle. She was alone with him. I mean, to me, I'd be on the jury and I'd be like, yeah, I don't even need to go back in that little room. Right. She's guilty and her husband's weirdly blind to it or covering for her when it is insanely different. Yeah. Fucking wild. That's fucking yeah. nuts. Yeah, dude. Oh, God. That poor lady. I know. Fucking Jesus. Ugh. Well, well, gross. You know what's funny is um, last week, when you were like, next week, you did for the next episode. I did? For Head. Yeah. Oh. And I thought it when I started doing my notes for this, and I'm like, season five, episode 24, Poison. And in my head, I'm like, why in the world when Gabe said that I didn't go that girl is poison because I would have so I went back to listen I was like oh it's because she skipped an episode and said it was oh it was head it was the yeah the last episode of the season yeah poison poison (laughs) I gotta make sure I oh yeah it is how did I skip next week we have season five episode 25 25 can you believe it the final episode of the season the episode is called head so this my like, nickname in high school. I was gonna say, but I was like, ah, this doesn't make sense. I don't know. Um, it doesn't. Well, I'm pretty sure it does. <laughs> <laughs> There's this guy that is like a voyeur and puts the cameras in bathrooms and shit, and he's in trouble. But he happens to catch an adult sexually assaulting a child. Oh, good. We get one more before the end of the season. <laughs> Yay! One fucking more of those. It's a really good episode. Okay. Well, see you then. Rate and review us, you guys. You know what? Rate and review us. Give us five stars. Give us five stars. (laughs) Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Send us stories, ghost stories for Gabe, questions. You can call us now and leave a voicemail. We can either play what you say or say what you say. Or you can just leave a message and be like, hey, I just wanted to leave a message and I don't want you guys talking about it, Uh, which is also fine. Whatever you want to do is fine. Yeah, we're really excited to hear from you guys and we want to get into it more in Patreon. Yeah. So the number is 920-345-7005. Oh, that's right. That was the other one. I was like, I "I thought it was like 420-6969. Yeah, I know. I couldn't get that number. Say it. What's the number again? 920-345-7005. Anything to send? P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. Mm -hmm. Check out our Instagram, at SVU Pod. Follow us. Interact with us. It just gets us more views on more radars. Yeah. Super helpful. Get pod merch and more at SVUPod.com. Join the Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad, and our chat group called Walk and Talk. Those lovely people created a book club called the the Single Tomato Book Club. (laughs) Yeah. So join that if you'd like. The chat group actually gets, like, very vulnerable and... Have you, were you in there this morning? Yeah, I was. It's just amazing. I love the support and the vulnerability that people are willing to have. And if somebody yeah. fucks around, Mary's coming for you, okay? Mm. She's, <laughs> don't be fucking around. Mary D, she's our fucking, she's moderator. our moderator. Yeah. MD. Hashtag little bit loud for indie pods. If you are an indie pod, want to find indie pods, follow that hashtag. You'll get shit. You'll be like, hey, what is this podcast that hashtags this? I should check it out. And you should. Yeah. And join the Patreon. We got tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of content. Content. More to come. That's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. Me? Bye. Oh. (laughs) Love love you. Bye. Bye.
And I always have some bullshit. So. <laughs> now we're at Hudson. You do. You always do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crazy today. <laughs> I'm a good person. I'm not a failure. Only sometimes, but not right now. I'm going to light this fucking taco on fire. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hottest thing you could say to a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, baby. I'm going to let that tackle on fire. <laughs> baby. Dun, dun. Like, you don't need to do the music with your mouth. We'll do that in post. <laughs> and to our Elite Squad patrons, Sonia W., Marissa M., Elkie H., Annie G., Mary D., Andrew, Andrew. Rebecca D., Miranda B., Shelby W., Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marilyn, Vanessa, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Kate H, Uyanga. Uyanga. Stop. I sent you that thing of what was it? It was two it was like two friends that think they can harmonize or whatever and I was like this is us. <laughs> it was they were like and it sounded so good. <laughs> Kayla J, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Katarina G, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Crystal, <laughs> Bear, <laughs> Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Mac Attack, Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Kaylin B, Camille Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, K Allen. Oof, no. K Allen. <laughs> I flew too close to the sun with that one. That was not gonna. <laughs> Katie M, Eliza W, Crystal B, Jessica P, Zon and J, Nada M, Sin, Christina D, Madison H, Emily, Oprah Winfrey, Victoria B, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree D, Come Through Drew B, Amberly C, Sapphire, Monica K, Katie S, Trish S, Angela D, Brenna T, Andrea M, Natasha S, Andrea H, Miranda B, Al H, Nikki R, Sarah J, Aunt Sarah, Aunt Sarah. Caitlin S, Emily D, Katie H, and Lexi why? Why not? Is what I say. I was just gonna start. <laughs> we fucking love you guys. We appreciate you for helping us make this possible, and we think you guys are cool. I so hope you guys fucking call. Please call. Well, somebody just call. call. <laughs> you can text so too. Lonely. Oh, you can text you know, too. You can call and text. Yeah. Fucking rad. Text us. Yeah. I want to hear voicemails, though, because I want to play them. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because you can also, like, send us emails and shit. We have one for the next uh, that I have to read to you. You didn't, you had nothing to say about my Emily O this time. I laughed. Oh, it wasn't very loud. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It didn't, uh, I'm, I'm still hungry. 